Okay, and so this morning, uh, Pastor Sean's continuing this uh, kind of mini-series, but we're doing the larger series on First and Second Corinthians, mini-series within that on uh, sexuality. And so just a reminder, you know, the, we've got the, these cards here that have, they're available in the back, some qu discussion questions that you can use, either are the sort of things we use in my discussion, in my uh, community group to, to discuss, some scripture readings, a script, a, also uh, there are memory verse, and also if you have questions that you've been wanting, like during the sermon, you can text that number anonymously, and next week, Sean, are you going to be, in two weeks, in two weeks, you'll be hearing the answers to some of these questions, so just invite you to do all that, and Let's just start with today's scripture reading. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. This is the word of the Lord. Awesome. Josh, you got a good one. It was one verse. Done. Out of here. Well done. Uh, that, I think, might be the record for the shortest verse that we've ever, uh, we're going to talk about today, um, and uh, we're jumping right in, and it's, it's just great to be, be here. Yeah, so next week, we conclude the sermon portion of this mini-series. Then in two weeks, we're doing uh, memory verse recital, so you can quote that verse and win a prize, because that's my love language, is prizes, uh, even though I don't see that in scripture, but it's my love language, is giving away prizes. Uh, and then we're going to answer those questions, and the reason we carved out that time is usually we've done the Q&A and a sermon, and then we end up going long on one of those, or both, because uh, like others, I have many words. Um, that seems to be the theme of the morning, but uh, yeah, and can we just say th thank you to Stacy again? Stacy, that was beautiful. Thank you for sharing your heart. Thank you uh, for just being yourself. And I love that this can be a safe place to just share who you are and where you're at and stepping up and just saying, I want to be around people. And that's, that's awesome. Uh, and so with this mini-series, as we talk about sexuality, uh, I, I think it's, an important to it's important to talk about. You know, sex, as we've been talking about over these few weeks, sex is good. Sex is not a dirty uh, topic. We shouldn't marginalize this theme and, and expect that within church, we can't talk about these things. Where else should we talk about these things? Do we want our young people, do we want our, 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 ourselves to formulate opinions based on what culture's telling us and, and just kind of keep this conversation marginalized, or do we occasionally, not every time, not, all, and not every week, all right, uh, but for a period of time, can we just be honest and talk about these thematic issues and these topics of how sexuality was created by God, and it unites husband and wife, and it is a good thing. And this week, as we talk about it, we're talking about this idea of when our sexuality gets a little too hot to handle. What do we do so that we don't get burned? Our sexuality is an aspect of our lives, and how do we live in a manner in which I don't want to hurt others, and I also don't want to hurt myself? And, uh, and so we're going to look at this very short, brief, but poignant scripture uh, in verse 18. Paul says, flee from sexual immorality, for all other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins, sexu he who sins sexually sins against his own body. So Paul, right there, in four words, says flee from sexual immorality. And that word for sexual immorality in the Greek is this word porneia. And it's any conduct, when, when Paul writes this, the Corinthians hear it as any conduct 
outside of the exclusive marriage covenant of a husband and wife. Now, I will not fill in the blank on what all of that could include, because I'm sure our minds could get there and we could fill out that blank, right? We could figure out what falls outside of the context and the construct of that marriage covenant. We won't get into all that nitty-gritty. I'll allow your mind to go there, which is weird to say in church, but you can fill in the blank. Why does Paul treat it with such an explicit correction, though? Why not just say, endure sexual temptation, fight the temptation? Instead, he says, flee. Flee from sexual temptation. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee from this conduct, right? We're going to talk about what it means to flee, but, but you see, he says, he who sins sexually sins against his own body. So there is a significance here within this theme. It's different than other sins in a way where what Paul is bringing back is this conversation that we talked about a couple weeks ago, which is that our body matters to God. We mentioned it a few weeks ago in that our body was bought at a price by Jesus. He paid a ransom for us, and that my body is not my own to do whatever I want with it. And yet when it comes with the, the topic of sexuality, we tend to minimize the depth of intimacy that can occur in sexual conduct, in sexual behavior. Two becoming one flesh is seen throughout Scripture, this phrasing of two individuals becoming one, united physically, emotionally, spiritually even. Two becoming one flesh. And Paul gets into this, this depth of, uh, of what occurs, that intimacy that takes place. And, and, and what he's saying here in, in this importance of fleeing from sexual immorality is because when we give in to sexual immorality, when we give in to the temptations, when we give in to our desires, what happens? We sabotage the intimacy that God has exclusively set up for our marriages. There's an intimacy and, a, and an exclusivity in that, and we sabotage it when we just allow ourselves to do whatever we please. That's my body. I'm going to do whatever I want. Sorry. And we, what, what happens is we elevate an airbrushed and artificial depiction of what sexuality looks like. And then what happens within the marriage? We begin to tell our spouse, well, you don't measure up because this is what I see on my screen, my tablet, on my TV, in my magazine. We tell our spouse that they don't look the same, they don't measure up, so therefore they are devalued and, and dehumanized and the destruction that can take place, I say we sabotage the intimacy, the emotional, the physical, the spiritual, the relational intimacy that husband and wife are supposed to have that gets destroyed because we just, we begin to look other places. We begin to idolize these artificial depictions of sexuality. And we don't think about the fact that our behaviors are not only affecting ourselves, but they're affecting our spouse. We hurt our spouse physically and emotionally, spiritually, when we allow those depictions to become the thing that we chase after, when we allow other people to become the ones that we chase after for intimacy. And Paul is just putting this in this concept of saying, like, sexual sin, it, 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 it affects us inside and out. And when we give in to that sexual temptation, what, what, what happens? Our sexuality becomes our God. Our sexuality becomes our God, right? Anybody disagree that sex can become addictive? Anybody watching online, there are no hands. Sex can become addictive, and we begin to pursue pleasure and indulgence to a point where it can become the thing that we choose to worship. 
and we follow our flesh more than we follow Jesus, and what ends up happening is that that becomes our God. We will do whatever that our flesh and our body and our desires want, and yeah, maybe Jesus wants me to do something else, but this really matters to me. And we find that tension, that point of tension where we find ourselves following two masters. I want to do the right thing and follow Jesus, but at the same time, I want to do this because I know that this feels good. It's going to make me feel better. And Paul recognizes that our sexuality can become an idol. And then that reverberates throughout our, our, our physical bodies, our, our, our spirituality, our emotional health, our mental health, right? It just perpetuates and, and deepens in the layers of, uh, of depth that that sin and that temptation and that struggle permeates into is more than just, well, it's just my body. What's the big deal? So Paul says to flee. Now, is Paul saying that sexual sin cannot be forgiven? It's the worst of the worst. Don't do that. Don't, and if anybody has struggled or messed up in that, I'm sorry, the boat has left the station. I don't know, do boats have stations? The train has left the station. The boat has left the marina. I don't know. No, Paul isn't saying that sexual sin can't be forgiven. So if you've struggled, if you've made mistakes in your past, if you've got regrets in your past, most of us have. Most of us have something that we've brought in, and when we come to church, all of a sudden it feels heightened. Like, you know when you go to the dentist, like, yeah, I should have flossed more. People come to church and they're like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that this week. Guess what? Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins, all of our mistakes, all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our regret, and all of it can be forgiven. All of us can be restored, and I, I think that people need to hear that. That's the depth of Jesus' love for you, is that nobody is exempt from that because of your choices this week or this month, or this season, or over the years of your life. And we're going to talk more about that when we feel stuck in sin next week. But today, he's emphasizing the way that our sexual sin permeates and affects us in these different ways. And so it's important to him. It's important to Paul, because I think Paul looks at the Corinthian church, and he doesn't want them to become the proverbial frog that boils in the water, right? You've heard that proverb or that cliche, right? You put a frog in hot, boiling water, what's it going to do? Bounce out. Now, I've never tested this theory. Has anybody tested this theory? No, because I'm not messed up in that way that I want to hurt a little froggy, right? But the, the proverb goes that you put a frog in boiling water, it bounces out. You put a frog in lukewarm water and turn that temperature up, it's just going to boil to death. And I think Paul's looking at the church and he's like, you're going to slowly boil in your sin. Nobody wakes up one day and goes full darkness. They didn't just wake up one day and like, I'm fully going to get into perversion and depravity and brokenness and sin. What happens? We slowly compromise. We justify. We hide. We create excuses. And we gradually will boil in our addictions. And we will boil away in our brokenness. Paul is looking at the church and saying, man, I, I just, I know Jesus has something better for you. He's got something different for you. You don't have to die in this. You don't have to boil in this. And, and, and would you wake up and, 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 and to a point where he so explicitly says, you need to jump out, right? What does he say? Flee. He doesn't say fight. 
doesn't say endure and buckle down and just be better. He says, run away from it. Get out of there. Flee. Jump out like that little frog out of the boiling water. Get out of the situation. And so today, we're going to talk about how to flee. We're going to flee from our sexual sin. We're going to flee from these things. And I created a little acronym. I did not steal this and Google like cool flee acronyms for sex uh, talks with your church. Didn't get this from like sermon.com. But as I was studying this and, 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 and digging in on this theme, uh, I, I love it when God orchestrates an acronym because as a teacher, I just love that. And I'm going to remember it. And hopefully you'll remember it as we break this down. So it's going to spell out flee as we talk about four attributes of being people who set up guardrails and, and guidelines and boundaries in our lives. So the first one is fast. All right, so those of you who love taking notes, today's your day because I got four blanks for you. Those of you that hate taking notes, all right, this is another Sunday for you. Fast. We're going to make fast decisions. We're going to flee. We don't linger. We don't waste time. We get out quickly. We go for it, right? In 2 Samuel chapter 11, we meet a guy named David, and this guy does not make a fast decision. He's got a classic moment of sin and, and destruction that, that he uh, has an affair with a woman named Bathsheba. But look at where he's at and the way that he engages this tempting moment in 2 Samuel 11, verses 2 through 3. It says, One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And then he ran away and talked to his accountability partner. Nope. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. Now, in the context of this, David's supposed to be with his soldiers at war. He's a commander. He's supposed to be there leading his men into battle. And instead, where is David? Sitting at home lounging, taking a nap, and just looking around, looking around, idle hands, right? And, and does he flee? No. He lingers. He looks. He indulges in this affair with a woman. Then you compare that with Genesis 39, we meet a man named Joseph. This is not Jesus' stepdad, Joseph. This is a different Joseph. In Genesis 39, he is uh, seduced by a, a wife but the wife of his boss, Potiphar. Compare David with Joseph for a moment. In Genesis 39, verse 12, she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. And he said, yeah. No, he didn't. I'm just seeing if anybody's awake. She said, come, thank you, Brother Pete, in the back. No, she, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Joseph makes a fast decision, right? He gets out of there. He runs for his life. He goes, 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 right? You know the situations where you need to make quick decisions. Should I stop and linger here? I'm sitting home alone. I know in the past there's been a tempting moment for me in a tempting environment. Late at night, sitting in a car with my boyfriend or girlfriend. We're just going to listen to some music and stare at the stars. Yeah, right. You're working alone with a coworker, just working over those spreadsheets and looking over the numbers and all the reports and things like that. You know those situations. And often I think we know what to do. We over-spiritualize, oh, God, pray and give me direction. Get out of there, right? Get out of that situation. You do not need to be fogging up the windows of your, you know, 
Toyota Tercel, get out of there. Go, be like Joseph and run, 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 run. Get out. Fleeing by making fast decisions to get out of a situation. Can I tell you a story, not of myself, but of somebody else? Can I brag on somebody else? I won't tell you who it was. A friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, told me this story one time. He went into a, to get a massage, and he's getting a massage, and he's laying down there, and his face is stuck in the hole, you know? He's just doing that thing, and he's getting a massage. And uh, he's looking through the little hole, and he sees the gal's feet, and they're painted toenails, and she's wearing high heels. And he's like, what is going on? Who wears high heels for a massage? And he's noticing the massage is not very good. Like, she's just kind of... I don't know, playing bongo drums on his back. It's not getting any of the tension that he's feeling in his shoulders. And he looks up, and she's wearing barely anything. And he realizes this is the wrong place to get a massage. And you know what he doesn't do? Well, I got a lot of tension in my shoulders. Maybe she'll get better along the way. No, he gets out of there. He says, excuse me, I've got to go. And he asks her to leave, gets dressed, and boom, he's gone. He flees. He didn't justify, he didn't make excuses, he didn't linger, he didn't look. He's a married man, he knew he was in the wrong situation on accident and said, I'm out of here, guys, see you later. Making fast decisions. Be like Joseph in that way, to flee. The, the second part of fleeing is listening. The L is to listen, specifically listening to Jesus. And I would ask us, when it comes to facing moments of temptation, who do we listen to? What are we listening to for advice and guidance? We're listening to ourselves. Sometimes we listen to ourselves. What do I say about this? What what does my parents say about this? What are my culture, my friends? What does Oprah, what does Dr. Phil say? What does this new trendy book, what does TikTok say about this situation? What should I do? Right? And we're, I don't know. I've never been on a TikTok, right? I'm I'm anti-TikTok, I guess. Ah, but we find ourselves in these tempting situations, and, and yet... We create these vacuums of information. We exclude Jesus from even being a part of the conversation because, well, mom and dad had a good principle. My pastor said some nice things along the way at some point. I read it in a book. I saw it on social media, and I just kind of feel like this is the right decision for me. And I wonder sometimes if we're making decisions with such limited information and opinion that it creates an incomplete situation. Couldn't, could we be missing something? And it reminds me of you ever watch uh, cooking show competitions and sometimes they've got to make some fancy meal, right? I want you to make this high class, fancy dish, but you're going to cook with ingredients from a vending machine. You ever watch like a, co- a cooking competition, right? And they're like, you got to do something outrageously fancy, but you're going to use vending machine materials, right? And you end up with like fettuccine Cheeto, right? Or something like that. It's good, but it's not what it could be. And I wonder sometimes we find ourselves in these high-pressure, tempting moments, and we're basing our guidance on an incomplete gathering of information. And at some point, have we ever stopped to say, well, what does Jesus say about this? What does Jesus say about the situations that I'm facing right now, the temptations that I'm struggling with? Because that information is going to affect my viewpoint and my behavior and, and... Maybe I should stop and ask him, what does he say? In John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep will listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Jesus is a shepherd. Jesus is a shepherd, 
and we are the sheep. And we're following our shepherd. And just like sheep get into trouble and wander off or find a moment of chaos or face a predator or face a moment that, ah, and sheep go, by and they're going around, we're going to find ourselves in a moment of confusion and chaos and struggle. And who are we listening to? Are we listening to our shepherd? Are we following our shepherd? Do I give Jesus the authority to guide my decisions? Because I, I, I tend to believe that whoever we listen to, we've given authority to them. Think about it. If you don't listen to your mom and dad, you don't really hold in respect and give them authority to guide you, right? If you give authority uh, to someone, you listen to them. You take their advice, you garner that information, and you will follow that. And I also tend to believe that what we listen to determines our focus, right? What I'm listening to, what information I'm taking in is going to affect where my focus is and how I'm going to handle this. And then I heard this from someone one time, and I really liked it. Wherever my focus goes, my energy flows. I like it because it rhymes, too. I didn't come up with it, so... But wherever my focus goes, my energy is going to flow. So if my focus is on getting away with sin, which, hey, I'm a sinful person, right? We all are. What do we tend to do when we want to live in sin? We scheme and we think and we plan. Okay, this is how I can cover it up. This is how I can get away with it. This is how I can hide it. This is how I can delete this so no one will find out. Where my focus is, well, my energy is going to flow into getting away with my sin. If my focus is on Jesus... My focus is on saying, Jesus, how do I navigate this difficult situation or this tempting situation? Well, then I'm going to handle it differently because my focus is not on how do I get away with sin. My focus is on how do I flee from this sin. Wherever my focus goes, my energy flows. And I'll tell you, it is really difficult to focus on your desire and allowing your flesh to be your God when your eyes are fixated on Christ and you're trying to do what he wants you to do. And I would encourage you, do the prep work ahead of time. Don't wait until that tempting moment where you're steaming up the windows with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and say, you know, let's open our Bibles and see what Jesus has to say, right? I was a good Christian boy in college, and you know what? It's really hard in those moments to be like, hey, April, let's open our Bibles and see what Jesus says. No, you got to do the prep work ahead of time, right? No, I'm the only person... You all spiritually savvy and healthy people in those tempting moments do the right thing. And you're like, well, in Matthew 17. You got to do the prep work ahead of time. If you know you're facing temptation and you know that those tempting moments are going to come up, what are you doing to prepare yourself? There are times where I will post scripture around my house. Write it on a sticky note and put it on my mirror, on my dashboard or next to my bed, intentional times to pray and really ask the Lord for, for guidance and wisdom in this, reading books, listening to podcasts uh, of trusted people that, that agree with where I, I do believe Scripture leads me, not just the trendy flavor of the month. Spending time journaling about those thoughts, being honest with Jesus about those things, that prepares me for those chaotic, spontaneous moments. So to flee, I've got to learn to listen to Jesus. Anyone guess the E? Hmm? 
Now, I know some of you are thinking, you're like, what are those E's? What are we going to do? It's going to be expose your sin. Expose your brokenness. Bring it to the light. My family went camping this summer, and one day it rained while we were camping. And, we, uh, and then it was sunny the next couple of days. We rolled up our tent and got home. And then when we got home, I told our kids, we got to unroll our tents. And they're like, what? Why? Yeah, we rolled them up at the campground. And I said, because it rained, those tents were moist, right? And some of you just at that word, shudder. We had to unroll the, the, the tents and lay them out in the sun. And the kids are like, well, why, Dad? You're creating extra work for us. And I said, well, imagine what's going to happen. And they couldn't really connect these dots. But I know you can. You're a smart group, right? Imagine if we just left those tents all moist. I'm going to shudder thinking about what it would be a year from now when I go to open that tent, right? And I open up that tent, and that smell would just hit you. And you'd be like, oh, that was terrible, right? If I just kept that rolled up and hidden, what would happen? Well, there's areas of our lives where we need to unroll it. We need to bring it to the light. We need to be honest about it. And expose our brokenness to others and to Jesus. And instead of trying to hide our situations, in order to flee them, I think we've got to really be honest about them. James writes it in, in chapter 5, verse 16, Therefore, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, so that you would be healed. He values this act of confession, and he, he sees something restorative and healing that takes place when I get together with another person and pray and confess my sin. If I unroll the tent of my life and say, we've got to deal with this. There's something therapeutic and, and restorative that takes place. It restores myself personally. It doesn't feel good. I mean, it's a terrible feeling at first, but after you confess, there's something that lifts off your shoulders. It feels better personally. It feels better between you and Jesus. It feels better even to have somebody in your corner battling with you knowing what's going on. But the trouble is, is to become so vulnerable and so safe with somebody that they can see your brokenness. That's hard. You're worried about what are they going to say, what are they going to correct, what are they going to think, how are they going to respond. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the importance of accountability. If you missed that one, I encourage you to take a look at it. But we talked about the importance of putting people in our life strategically who will give us grace and truth. When we expose our brokenness, we don't just want somebody to say, oh, that's okay, you're good. We need somebody to be honest with us. But at the same time, not so honest that they just beat us <laughs> around the head, you know? But they, they show us the grace that God would show us as well. A spouse, parent, mentor, pastor, friend, life group. important to be honest with Jesus. It's important to be honest with other people and to begin to expose these things into the light. Then we're not running to them. We're, we're running away from them. The last E. You ready? Yes? The last E. Eliminate. Who got eliminate? Huh? No hands. All right. Nobody got it, but now you do. Eliminate. Eliminate opportunities. Get rid of the stuff that is going to be a hurdle. We need to purge, right? It's almost like doing a, 
a goodwill run, right? Except you're not donating these things to other people. You're getting rid of them. There are things in our life that will cause us, they don't help us, but they lead us towards sin. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 5. He says, I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's a whole sermon we could do. But if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. There's a purging. There's an elimination. I don't literally do this, obviously. But what Jesus is getting at is identifying the things that cause us to sin and being honest with him and saying, you know what? And I've had friends. They get rid of their smartphones. They turn them into dumb phones and flip phones. Because for them, it's going to cause them to sin. For other people, they... They don't get internet in their house. For other people, you know, they, they create these boundaries. They create guidelines, but they eliminate things. And, and, and being able to honor Jesus with my body means I've got to be honest with Jesus to identify, yeah, that's an area of weakness. That's going to be a struggle. And the various temptations that we might wrestle with, right? Being honest with, you know what? I'm going to eliminate going to the bikini barista I'm going to go to Starbucks. And it seems ridiculous, but you know what? They're in business. So it means that people are going there. But it means that, you know what? If I've got to get a cup of coffee, I'm going to go somewhere where I don't need to objectify a woman. I'm going to go somewhere where I can get gold stars and earn free coffee. Starbucks! But I'm going to avoid those things. I'm going to eliminate those opportunities Service temptations of, like I said, bikini baristas or massage parlors or strip clubs. Maybe it's more digital or entertainment temptations of movies and music and movie, uh, music videos and, and, and romance novels and pornography and hookup apps and all of these things. There's things that we need to just be honest with ourselves and maybe with our spouse and maybe with an accountability partner. Bring those things to the light, but we've got to eliminate our access to them. And I think sometimes we have an inflated view of self and we think we're stronger than we really are. But we've got to, well, I'd be strong enough to make a change. Well, I'd be strong enough to eliminate the opportunity. In an unrelated but I think parallel situation, I've wanted to eat healthier lately, right? And wanting to eat healthy, you know what? It's really hard to eat healthy when there are Oreos in my cupboard. And when there's soda in my fridge. So I eliminate the opportunity. I eat it all and then I don't go buy it again. <laughs> no, don't do that. I feed it to my children. No, uh, you want to eat healthier? You stop buying the Oreos and putting them in your house. You stop buying the chips. You stop buying the junk food and stop putting it around you to tempt you. If you're struggling with temptation, why not eliminate it? Jesus is very clear. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength to say, I can't do this alone. I need to get rid of this. I want to get out. I'm going to have to get rid of some stuff and stop creating tempting situations. But we want to be people who flee, right? Make fast decisions. This is the recap. Fast decisions for anybody that dozed off. Listening to Jesus, exposing your sin, and eliminating opportunity. We want to be people who put the gospel at the center of our sexuality. And we want to respond to that. 
and respond out of obedience, respond out of holiness? And why do we respond with holiness? Because the gospel is holy. Because Jesus is holy. I respond with obedience because Jesus loved me before I was good. Before I was cleaned up. Before I fled. When I would indulge, Jesus loved me in that brokenness. And when I discover that love, the next time I'm facing a temptation, I want to flee. Not to be perfect, not to clean myself up, but out of response to the love that Jesus showed me in my brokenness. I respond to the gospel with holiness because Jesus is holy. And the desire and the intent here is to be people who experience the, the wholeness and the flourishing and the completeness that Jesus offers us in our life, in our sexuality and in all areas of our life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Take a moment. Let's pray. Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. I pray that this morning we would be honest with you and honest with ourselves and we would bring you our struggles and our sin and our brokenness. And I thank you that this is a place uh, of grace and, and safety that we can be honest with you. We are not perfect people. We struggle with sin. And for some of us, this series is just hitting home. I pray that your love would meet us where we're at. Give us the strength to respond to your voice. Give us the courage to step out in obedience and maybe make changes. Help us to be people who live holy. Because Jesus, you are holy. We love you and we trust you. And we thank you for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Um, before we head out, and Josh is going to send us out into our world, and, uh, but before we do that, and there's really no connection point, but we're going to just abruptly turn the steering wheel on us, uh, is we want to just take a moment before we head out into our world to pray for what's going on uh, with the hurricane in Florida. And I see heads nodding. You understand what's happening. We want to pray for Florida. Um, and if there is uh, a desire for you to want to support, I know that you can give to uh, the Red Cross, you can give to many organizations, and you might be wondering, like, how can we respond? And, and just so you know, our, our denomination, our Foursquare denomination, does have um, some infrastructure set up, and it's called Foursquare Disaster Relief. And they uh, allow, through the setup of our denomination, you can give to that entity of our denomination, and all those funds will go toward putting people in those situations. Uh, wherever it is across the world, when there's natural disasters or crisis of any kind, uh, we mobilize the pastors in that area. Did you know that? Uh, this organization within Foursquare will empower and equip the pastors that are there. And so I saw a video of a pastor who has a church right there in Florida. And they're out of power, and they're flooded, and there's this, and then there's this church. And this pastor's just like, I don't know how, but our building's on, and people are coming, and and we're able to give them water and some food and just care for people in that way. And so if you're looking for a way to give, um, there's, I know there's many, but you can give 
uh, with the, 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 uh, the designation, excuse me, the designation of Foursquare Disaster Relief, or FDR, and those funds will go uh, specifically to that. So you're, you're giving it to Hub City, but we're gonna send it directly to them, and it will go to helping those in need, especially and specifically with this crisis right now going on in Florida and the Gulf area and in the South, all right? Uh, but we're gonna pray. So we can give, but we can pray. And uh, let's just take a moment and, and let's just pray for all those being affected by this. Jesus. Jesus, in these storms, we just stop and we, we trust you. We run to you. We don't understand. We know the world is, is imperfect and it is broken and these storms happen, but God, we don't always understand why. And I pray in these moments that you would give your, your peace and your truth. Holy Spirit, that your presence would be made known to people through your church to all of the people affected right now. We pray against the, the worry and the anxiety of those who don't even live in the area, but they've got loved ones down there. But God, we pray for those right now that have been displaced and are away from home or they've lost a loved one or however this tragedy, however this storm has affected them, God, we just pray that you would meet with them right in this moment. Holy Spirit, you are our comforter and our counselor. You bring us comfort when our soul is restless and you counsel us when we need guidance and direction. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would meet with people in the midst of this storm. Be the rock that people need right now. We thank you for those that you've mobilized, both within our church, within our denomination, and, and just across all areas and all faith lines. God, you're just, man, in these moments, it's so incredible to see people step up to serve and to help. We thank you for that. Be their peace, be their provision. Jesus, be their everything. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you want more information on Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.